few weeks ago, I got home, and as I was putting some of my stuff away, I grabbed my wallet and I put it on my nightstand. And uh, a couple moments later, my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter walks in, and I hear her open my wallet, and then I hear this crinkling of paper. And I pop my head out, and I say, uh, Mama, what are you doing? And she says, Papi, I need this, as she's holding like this wad of money. And I say, uh, you need what? She says, I need this money. And I said, for, for what do you need it for? And she says, I need it for my tea party. And I said, okay. Um, and I said, well, what kind of tea party is this? And she says, oh, it's a, tea, a special tea party for all my friends. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, can I come to your tea party? And she says, no. And I said, why not? She says, because it's for my friends. And I said, so what you're saying, you want me to underwrite your tea party, but I'm not invited to the tea party. And then she gave me this look like, what does underwrite mean? Um, now, I did sneak in, and here's a picture of the tea party. Um, yeah, some of her friends. Now, here's the part that really bugs me. The part that bugs me is on the other side. That's an empty chair. Like, she would rather there have been an empty chair than me be there, which is kind of weird. And then, so, the, the odd part is this, is that... Um, so I, I, you know, pop my head in, and so now the, this is the thing that was a little bit odd, is that um, my wife, uh, so she tells me about this tea, she's having this tea party, so I say okay, and so then my, you know, she's got like a ten, a five, some ones, whatever that she's carrying around, and so her mom sees all of this, and my wife Carrie says, um, Bob, why is uh, Mia walking around with? with money and I said oh I gave it to her and she said for what and I'm like here don't you know what's going on around this house she's having a special tea party for all of her friends get with it and so she says well um, she says well, wow and she said so you gave her money don't you know money's dirty it has germs she gives me this whole thing about germs and then I said well let me show you this picture this is what she looked like when she asked me for the money um, and so so this is what she, you know because she wears like a costume all the time and so um, every day, and I said, and I said, Care, do you see her, how she's dressed? I said, in the Bible, you know what happens when people don't listen to the angel? They get killed. And I said, and I want to live. So that's why I gave her the money, because she asked me for it. And, uh, and here's, here's the point. We can take the picture down, because you guys won't listen to me. You'll just stare at the picture. Um, now, here's the thing that's interesting. Here's the thing that's in- Relax, bro. That's all right. Um, uh, you can just relax, dude. Um, all right, so here's the deal. My daughter's two, right? She's not even three yet. And... Um, she already understands that to some, that to some degree, money is a part of life. Now, I want you to think about that because for most of us, most of us would agree that to live in this world, it, it takes money in one form or another um, to do what we need to do, have to do, want to do, whatever the case. And, and yet here's what I find amazing is that most of us receive zero when it comes to education about money. And um, whether it was from school or the home we grew up in, you know, from parents, whoever, um, teachers, we, we didn't really get taught anything. Now, let me ask you this, and I asked this in the first service, this is fascinating. Um, how many of you took a class in school, like in, you know, kindergarten through high school, of um, like how to understand a mortgage and, uh, you know, how, how to read a mortgage, like this is what it means, percentage rate. I think I have one, one person, two people in a crowd this size. Two people that got it. Now, let me ask you another question. How many of you took algebra? How many of you took algebra in, in, in high school? Now, think about that, all right? Uh, think about that. Almost all of us. Now, how many of you have used algebra since you left high school? Okay, four people. 
Now, isn't that, isn't that interesting? So here's the thing that happens. is that now, now, think about this. Most of us get zero education when it comes to uh, a mortgage. And yet, now here's the thing. If you're in high school, I'm just going to tell you this. Unless you become an algebra teacher, you're never going to use algebra. Your parents have wanted to shield you from this truth, but um, they haven't told you this, but it's true. Now, you, now, your parents are shrinking back saying, Pastor, don't tell them that. He already wants to flunk that class because he doesn't think it matters. Now, I will tell you this. Now, don't give up on algebra because even though you don't need algebra to, to, to live life, you do need a high school diploma. And you're, I'm pretty sure that you're going to have to pass algebra to get a high school diploma. And so that, that's the thing that's, that, that's important. Now, the thing is this. Uh, by the way, this is one of the reasons why we do the financial classes that we do here. We do a seminar a couple times a year. We have a small group that we do, uh, letting people know, uh, you know, uh, as to how to see money, use money, deal with money according to what God has to say in the scriptures. Now, here's the thing that's, um, th- that's, that's really uh, important is that there, there is a reason that, uh, that Proverbs has so much to say, and that's why we're going to focus on in our time together, is that Proverbs has so much to say about the subject of finances, how to look at it, how to see, see it, and how to deal with it properly. And you may want to take notes on this, because there's only five things you can do with money. All right? Only five things you can do. You may want to write this down. All right? Um, you can earn it, give it, save it, invest it, or spend it. That's it. That's all the five things you can do. Let me say it again. Earn it, give it, uh, save it, invest it, or spend it. That's it. That's all you can do with it. And so what we're going to do in our time together is talk about what Proverbs has to say about this, this very subject. And so we're going to look at these five financial skills that we need to have. We're going to condense them to four because um, I want to get you out of here before dinner time. Um, and so, but I think that these are things that we need to get educated in. And my hope is this, is that we'll become... Um, Hopefully, with time, experts in. The Bible tells us this in the notes that we gave you, um, and I hope you follow along in those. It says this, it says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Now, let me tell you one of the reasons why I think this subject is so important. All right? Um, th- these stats that I'm giving you are as recent as last night. I went and double-checked these stats that I got. Some of this is from the U.S. Census Bureau, and some of this is from a recent article that I read in the New York Times. Uh, now, check this out. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, average home in America, over $16,000 in credit card debt. That's the average home uh, in America. So that doesn't include car payment. That doesn't include mortgage. That's just credit card debt. Okay? Now, um, the average home in America, the average home in America, check this out, 24.4% of their monthly income is going towards paying credit cards. All right. Just paying like what already happened, not where we're going in, in the future. So listen, this is a serious issue. And that's why in this message, I'm going to try my very best to speak as practically and as frankly as I can from the scriptures as we go as we go through this together. And this is another reason why this is so important. You, you guys probably know the statistic. It's a famous statistic. Fifty two percent of marriages, fifty two percent of couples that get married end in divorce. We know that. But here's the thing that we don't understand. Um, more than half of the couples that do get divorced, not just half of couples get divorced, but of the couples that get divorced, more than half, 54%, say that finances was the number one reason that they, that they uh, ended their marriage. That's the number one reason. I want you to think about that for a minute. That at one point in your life, you walked down the aisle with someone, and this is what you said. You said, um, I want to spend my life 
with, with this person. I can't even imagine not living with this person. And then somehow, because some circumstance, finances were mismanaged, there were some bad decisions that were made, and the financial pressure became so much that you looked at the person that you said, I can't imagine spending my life with anybody else. You looked at them and said, I'd be okay if I never saw you again because of what happened and all this, what's happened financially. And that's why us having an understanding of this subject is so important, is because, and this is why it's so important, because this subject will affect everything else in our lives. And that's why we're going to spend some time talking about it. So if you would, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 21, uh, as we're going to talk about this. And we're going to look at these five skills. There's going to be four points in our message uh, four skills to becoming uh, wise with money. We're going to be in Proverbs 21. We're going to start in verse 25. And here's what it says. It says, The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. He covets greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first of the four things that we're going to talk about. And if you're taking note, number one is that is that I need to earn money honestly. I need to earn it honestly. Now, it seems like an odd place to start, but I think it's an important place to start. Because honesty should be the hallmark of, I mean, it, it shouldn't even be something we have to talk about, but we do. Why? Because there's dishonesty everywhere. Last year, uh, or sorry, about a year and a half ago, my, uh, I had to do some teaching in Phoenix. Uh, this is in, uh, not this August, but the August before. Uh, I had to do some teaching in Phoenix because what better thing to do than to go to Phoenix, Arizona in August. By the way, I took a picture of the uh, the dial outside of my hotel room, and it said 120 degrees. By the way, if you're not aware, that's hot. Uh, it's like being inside of an oven. Oh, it's a dry heat. Let me tell you something. Heat is heat, and it is hot. Anyway, so um, we're going to go to Phoenix. It's my wife and my daughter. My son wasn't born yet, and so... Um, we had all these sky miles that we had accumulated over the last few years. And I said to Carrie, I said, let's, um, let's just book the trip with, uh, with the sky miles that we have. And so we said, all right. And so we were able to, with the sky miles, to fly first class. This is about a year and a half ago. The first time I'd ever flown first class in my life. How many of you have flown first class at some point? Um, man, you know what's weird? Isn't it hard to go back? That is like the hardest thing. Is like once you fly first class, going back to coach. And you know... It's not even, this is the weird part, it's not even that because the, the first class, the seats um, are leather and not that nasty fabric that you know are just hiding like swine flu and God knows what else. Um, uh, and it's not even that the seats go all the way back like the ones in coach don't. It's not even the extra leg room that you get. You know, what it, it's not even that they give you real plates, real silverware and not a paper napkin, but a cloth napkin to eat and you get warm cookies. You know what I love the most about flying first class is that the people on the plane actually treat you nice. Oh, and then the other thing, too, there's like this one other thing, is that when, you're, when everybody else is walking on the plane, they're, like, they're all like, man, how'd that guy get in first class? And you're like, what's up? You know, you wish, but it ain't happening for you this time. Get in the back. You know, so that's kind of the thing that, that's, that, that's taking place. But anyway, so we're in first class, and the, the flight from uh, Miami to Phoenix was fine. But we had a really early flight. I think it was like 7 a.m. Um, uh, flight was the flight home. And so, um, so we had to get to the airport really early. And so I fell asleep um, on the, uh, for most of the way back. And uh, my daughter was kind of in between us and then my wife. So I'm on the aisle. My wife is on the uh, window seat. All this is going to matter in a second. And then there's this guy. There's the aisle and then there's a guy sitting on the, um, on the aisle seat. 
Now, I fall asleep. I wake up, and it's like, and I'm like, hey, how's it going? What's happening? And my wife's like, you're never going to believe what happened. You know, and it's like she's dying to tell me this. I'm like, well, what happened? And she says, you know, well, you were asleep, but they handed out breakfast. By the way, you know, they, they hand out breakfast on real plates with real silverware. And it's just kind of go through the, through the whole thing. And um, so they asked me if I wanted breakfast. I said, no, I'll just take one of those warm cookies. Uh, it's, it's 8 in the morning. I don't care. It's time for cookies somewhere in the world. And I'm in the air, so who cares? Uh, so anyway, so they, uh, they offered me breakfast. I say I want cookies for breakfast, which is setting a bad example for my daughter. That's another message altogether. Um, but anyway, so she says, you'll never guess what happened. The guy next to you, he eats breakfast, right? And then... He takes the silverware, he rolls it up, and he sticks the silverware and the napkin in his briefcase. And I said, we have a silverware thief on board? Uh, seriously? And, and I mean, and then I, the whole, the rest of the time I was looking at him like, has it gotten that low? You know, and then he's like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, how are you doing? That's the question. Because, you know, there's like certain levels of theft. You know, there's like, hey, I embezzled a million dollars from a bank. That's like a certain level of embezzlement. Then there's like, I stole candy. You know, like, I stole the jelly belly from the things, you know, the jelly beans from the things at Target. And then they catch me like, oh, I'm just sampling. You know, that those people, you know, as they stick their hands and whatever in there. And then you buy them later. And anyway, then you end up with the flu. Uh, you end up how you get swine flu. And then there's, you know what I mean? But then there's like... I steal silverware from airline people. And then, like, I think right under that is I steal ketchup packets from McDonald's. I think right under that. Um, but this, so there's like this, I don't know if you create these scales. It's, it's much more elaborate, the, st- the list I have at home. Um, but here's the thing. I'm just kidding. The list that, this is the thing that's interesting to me, is that there's just such dishonesty. And this is the thing. But as a Christian, the hallmark of who we are should be honesty, especially in our work. God wants us to be honest because, listen, the work that we do is a reflection of our relationship with Him. And if we want to experience God's blessing in our life, listen, it has to come by the fact that we honor God even, in, even when it comes to our work. Um, this is out of the message uh, paraphrase, but I love how it translates Proverbs chapter 13. It says, Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. You see, here's what that means. That means that if you want to do well, listen, it's going to take some hard work. It means that if we're getting paid to do a job, that we're going to do it without complaining. Because all of us, wherever it is that we work, we agreed to work at a certain wage, right? We all agreed to work at a certain wage, and if we're unhappy about it, then we should talk to the one person, our boss, who can actually change that. Now, here's the question, that, and people have said this to me before, and this is my answer, and because I've shared this now, people don't ask me this question, but this is the question people used to ask me. They used to say, um, you know, but, but I can't pay the bills with my salary. The boss just won't pay more. And so this is my, usually my answer. My answer is, are you the highest paid person in your company? And they say no. And I say, so, the an- so the, it's not really that the boss won't pay more. The boss won't pay you more. <gasps> that's rude. No, that's reality. There's a difference. Um, and, and this is the thing that's really important. This is the thing that's, re- that's really key. Is that, um, and this is the, maybe the, hard, the harder part, and then we'll, I'll promise to be nicer later. Um, but this is, this is the part that's, that, that, that's harder. Because listen, um, some jobs were never meant to be careers. They say, well, what do you mean? Um, there, there's, there's some jobs that people get. There, there, there are jobs that you get, oh, you got that part-time, I got this little thing going on. And, but it's never meant to be a career. It's never meant to be able to support a family, kids, a home, and, and all of that. When I was in Bible college, uh, one of the things that I did 
was I'd go to school during the day, and then at night I delivered chicken. Kid you not, true story. Uh, it was honest work delivering chicken to the hungry families of the North Broward area. So, um, so th- that's what I did at night. Now, here's the weird part. I, once again, I was in college. Um, I had my tuition to pay for, and then my outside expenses, um, because this was like prehistoric. Uh, there, there was no cell phones or anything like that. So, uh, you know, my expenses, I think, were like, you know, 100 bucks or something for my car insurance. That's it. You know, that's, that's it. And so, but here's what happens. There was this guy that, that worked there, and he was like, you know, the age that I am now, like, you know, mid-30s, even though I'm 36. Do not say late-30s to me. Um, uh, Mid-30s, and still I'm holding on that, to that mid till I'm 39. Um, uh, so he, uh, he's in his mid-30s, he's married, and he, has, um, he had a young child, like maybe two, three years old, and every day he would come in and complain. Because he had the same job as me, delivering chicken at night. And he would complain about how he can't pay the bills and he's having this hard time. And I remember, you know, I was 20 years old and I was in college and I was knee-deep in books and, and reports and papers and all that. And this is the thing that I found. And I remember thinking to myself, doesn't this guy realize that delivering chicken was never supposed to be a career? Like, that's, not, that's a job for, like, high school students and college students that need to make a few extra bucks. It was never meant to be a career. And so the question becomes this when it comes to, to, to earning money honestly and to do it without complaining. If Listen, the, one of the things that you have to ask yourself is, is the job I'm in a career? Because, listen, every position in a company has a, has a financial ceiling. Uh, unless you're in sales, that kind of becomes another conversation. But um, if you're in a salaried position, every uh, position has a ceiling. And you've got to decide, is that ceiling, am I able to have the kind of life that I want or can be happy with within that ceiling. If not, you may be frustrating yourself needlessly. I was in Disney last week. Uh, that's why I wasn't here. It's my wife's birthday, and so we went on vacation. And uh, I was at Disney, and I took my daughter. One of the things we did was we took my daughter to Chef Mickey's. Have you guys ever been to Chef Mickey's? Um, what an awesome place. You know, my daughter was so thrilled because we were eating, and uh, all the characters came up to her, you know, like at her table. I mean, it was so much fun. She thought it was the best because they're all her friends. I don't know if you knew that, but they're all like personal friends of hers. Uh, as she tells me, and I say, if this is your friend, why does he charge us admission? Anyway, she doesn't get that joke. She will. Um, but, and so, anyway, so uh, we're there, and I, I go to, to, it's like a buffet, so you've got to walk up with your plate and then wait for people who are like, do I want peas or corn? You know, it's like, dude, you've got to make the decision beforehand. Anyway, but I'm waiting patiently because that's what I'm supposed to do. So I'm waiting there, and I'm listening to one of the cooks behind the, 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 the counter complain about, how much he makes. I'd never experienced that at Disney. And, and I'm like, wow, that's so weird, this guy complaining about uh, how much he makes like in front of the, the guests that are there. Now, here's the odd part, is that what he doesn't know, and he wouldn't know, is that that afternoon I had had lunch um, at the Magic Kingdom with a, with a good friend of mine. I hadn't seen him in years, but he works for Disney. He's doing great um, over there. And so we met up. Um, it's always a cool thing to say, let's meet up in Adventureland right next to Splash Mountain for lunch. You know, that's just a fun thing to say. I say that now, but nobody thinks gets, gets it, you know. But anyway, so um, right next to the Country Bear Jamboree, that's where we'll meet. And anyway, so, so we ended up having lunch there, and he's telling me, and so I was asking him all these questions. I read books about Disney and other great companies, and, and so I was asking him about, um, you know, I've read that they do all these classes to help you get new skills and all that stuff. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's amazing. They have this whole array of classes for people that maybe want to make a career there to continue to advance. That night... I'm standing in line. This guy's complaining about how much he makes. And I thought, how interesting that this guy, even though the company that he works for has this whole slew of classes that you can take to improve your skills, get a better position and create a better life for yourself, he would rather complain. And I thought, man, 
How, how amazing. That's why God says to us, listen, you got to earn it. You got to earn it honestly, because look at the passage that we read in Proverbs 21. He says this. He says the desire of a lazy man kills him. It's like he looks on and we're, oh, man, I wish I could have that. It's killing me that I don't have it. But he, listen, but look at the second part for his hands refuse to labor. He just won't improve his skills enough to be able to create the kind of life that he really wants. So if you're going to, the first thing that we have to understand is, is that if you're, if you're, when it comes to money, if you've got to earn it, you've got to earn it honestly. Here's the second thing we need to do. I'm going to have you turn to Proverbs chapter 3 for a moment. Proverbs 3. And this conversation really starts in verse 1, but I'm, just for the sake of time, I'm going to start it in verse 7. Because most of you know, many of you know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. But let's start in verse 7. And it says this. It says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil, and it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. If you pause there and give me your attention, what's the second thing that we need to note? The first is, is that I need to earn money honestly. The second thing is that I need to give it faithfully. Give it faithfully. That's referring to tithes and offerings and giving to the Lord that which is His. Now, here's the thing that's very important. Um, I am maybe a little bit odd as a pastor in that I'm not like the biggest fan of Christmas, but I love Halloween. Um, now, here's the reason I love Halloween is because if you... Can I ask how many of you have kids? Uh, all right, great. Now, this will be a good thing. You have now, you know, about 11 months to prepare for this. Um, but this is... If you want to teach kids about tithing, Halloween is the best day of the year to do it. Because you explain to them, here's what you do. You get, they go, they put on their costume and then they go around, right? They earn their candy, right? Through all of their, uh, through the knocking on the door, trick or treat, all that. And then they come back and it was my daughter, my niece and my nephew. And after they came back, I gave them a whole lesson on tithing. And I said, no, this is the things what God says. Tithing means a tenth. And so what God says is that, um, you take everything that you earn, you give a tenth. God says one tenth is his. And then, um, you know, and then when you, you give it to him, he blesses you uh, for it. And it's just our way of, of putting God first in our lives and trusting him. And I said, now I see you guys have a lot of candy and we're going to do this. And just just for the sake of our purposes, I will play the role of God. Um, and so you will tithe all of your candy to me. And so any candy in, that has peanut butter or is a hot tamale, I will take that personally as the tithe. Now, here's the thing that they didn't realize. And um, I did the, I did this more just to like kid around with my brother and sister-in-law. Um, but here's the thing that was funny, is that what they didn't know is that we had a ton of candy left over because I was in charge of buying the candy this year and my wife is, was, in, was in charge of dispensing it. And um, my wife and I didn't really get in, in, in sync on this because um, I believe that when some kid comes to your house, you just give them a handful. Like every kid gets a handful. So I bought candy based on every kid getting a handful, which is, I don't know, six, seven pieces, right? And then... Um, my wife gives out like two to three pieces. So I want you to imagine that she's giving out a little bit of candy, but we have like bags and bags of candy like in, in, in the pantry. Apparently, I totally overbought. I mean, I knew that spending 50 bucks on candy seemed a little excessive. Um, it wasn't that much. I'm kidding. Um, but here's the thing that happens. The thing that happens is we have all this candy left over, and so I'm, I'm kidding around with, with my niece and nephew and my daughter about the tithing thing, and they're like, Okay, if that's what we got to do, you know, and so they start giving me candy. I said, no, I'm just kidding. But then here's what I did. And then I took like probably a hundred pieces of candy and I just dumped it on the table. And I said, here you go. This is all that's left over. You can keep it all. Um, and which 
my brother and sister-in-law at that point were like, great, that's what we need in our home. It's a hundred more pieces of chocolate. Um, but that's the thing. Listen, you say, well, how does that have anything to do with, with, with what you're talking about? It has everything to do with what we're talking about because it's the same principle. The principle is this, is that when I honor God with my, with my finances and I give him the tenth, he's able, he, he then is, sees that, hey, God, this person trusts me above anything else. Even though in our culture, the, the idea is to, in, in the culture is to trust money above all else. When God sees someone says, I, God, I trust you above all else, and I'm going to take the thing that everyone puts their trust in, and I'm going to give it to you. God says, hey, I can now open up the windows of heaven and bless this person in an incredible way. Why? Simply because uh, they're, willing to honest, uh, they're, they're willing to honor me. Now, let me tell you a little bit of my story. When we first started our church nine years ago, um, I did not talk about money. I did not talk about this topic at all. And here's the reason why. Is that my, my thing was this, is that I did not want anybody to ever confuse me or, or misunderstand what I said because I didn't, the last thing I wanted was say, oh, I went to that church and I heard Pastor Bob, he's just like those guys on TV. And I thought, that is never going to be said of me. And so I shied away from ever talking about this subject. Um, and it was actually one of our pastors that came to me, this is about two years into our church, and said, um, they said, Bob, can I ask you a question? And I said, yeah. And they said, um, has tithing and, and giving to God, has that been a blessing in your life? And I said, yeah, it's been one of the greatest blessings in my life. I've seen God work miracles in my life. And they said, so if that's the case, why do you rob the people of our church by not teaching this to them if it's meant so much to you? And I thought, wow, that's really powerful and I need to repent of that. And, and so I started becoming very, very faithful and, and, talking, and seeking to be faithful and talk about this. And I will tell you unashamedly, Unashamedly, I'll tell you that I believe that the key to living a blessed financial life begins at the place of giving. Why? Because um, this is the thing that we're going to talk about. And, and, and you, some of you, if you've been here for a while, you've heard me teach on this Malachi passage before. But here's the thing that I think is so important, is that the key is this. There, there's really two things happening. God saying to test him, but then the other part is, is what happens when we're not faithful? Because when we are faithful, we experience God's blessing financially. When we're not, we experience the opposite of that, which is that our money is cursed. And it's really strong language. Let me read you the passage, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. Here's what it says. It says, should people cheat God? Yet have you cheated me? Or yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? Uh, when did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you, and I will pour out a blessing so great that you will not have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute, because there's several things here. But one of the things that's important to note is that God promises to bless the person who honors him in tithing. And tithing isn't just giving. They're saying, oh, the offering comes around, I put 10 bucks in there. That, that's not tithing. Tithing is a systematic approach that says, whatever I earn, I give 10% to God. In fact, this is, what, this, is, these are the, this is the strong language that God uses in the Bible. He says, the tithe is mine. So when we actually, we don't actually give the tithe. Here's what the, Bible, the, the language the Bible would use. The, the, the language the Bible would use is, we actually return the tithe. We give it back to him because it's already his. And then here's what happens. 
when we do and we obey God in that, here's what God says. He says, now I'm going to take the 90% and I will stretch it even further than the 100% would go. Because that's what happens when you have 90% that's blessed versus 100% that's cursed. In fact, God just has a way of making the 90% go longer in a way that we could never make the 100% go. Um, this, and, and, and you say, well, how is that? This is the, what God says to the children of Israel, right as they're, they walk through the desert for 40 years, they're ready to go into the promised land, and here's what he says. He says, during the 40 years that I led you through the desert, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. Now think about that. 40 years, the clothes didn't wear out, the sandals on their feet didn't wear out. I mean, do you have any shoes that you say, like, you know what, man, when I bought those shoes in the late 60s, right? No, nobody's got those because they've all worn out, they've all been trashed, they've all been thrown away. But here's what God says, because you've been faithful, God just has a way of making things Stretch out. God has a way of making tires on cars go farther, making engines last longer, making vacations cost cheaper, and causing homes to sell quicker. I'm telling you that God constantly reminds me of this. Um, some of you know that uh, we had a, um, uh, my wife and I, we just had a son. Uh, next week he's going to be four months old, if you can believe that. And, uh, and here's the thing that's amazing. If you've ever had a child, you know that one of the joys of having a child is dealing with your medical insurance. Right. And saying, well, they're going to cover this and not cover this. And then you go, well, there's a copay for that. Well, you know, it was like a full moon on that day. So we're not covering it. And, you know, they've got all these things to what they're covering and not covering. And um, so so here's what happens. And so um, this week, after all of that, we get like this unexpected bill that comes in the mail. Like, wow. All right. What are we going to do with this? But here's the thing that was so interesting. Two days before that, I got the unexpected bill. I got an unexpected check in the mail. See, I'd, got, I'd written a book a while ago, and the publisher said, hey, we owe you this money. I'm like, hey, thank you. And, um, and, so, and here was the part that was so interesting to me, was that the cost of the bill and the, cost of, and, and the, check, the amount of the check that I got were within $2 of each other. And I thought, God, I'll cover the two bucks. Don't worry about it. Uh, and I thought, man, God, you really did. You really did. I didn't expect, I, I didn't know. You like that. Uh, and... And so here's the thing that happens is that, you know, it's like, well, I didn't expect that, but I didn't expect this. And God says, yeah, I know you didn't, but I knew it was coming. Because God has a way of making 90% stretch out a lot further than the 100. Now, the Proverbs verse that we read, he says this, he says, honor, honor the Lord with the first part of your income. That's, that's the tithe. That is before I pay anything else, I give God what's his. Because when I do, I know that God, when I trust him, that God is going gonna, is gonna to bless me for it. And I experience his blessing. But see, now that's the, that, that's the side that we know where he says, okay, I'm going to open the windows of heaven. I, I got all that. But let me give you the flip side. That's the blessed life. Let me give you what the curse looks like. And this is in the book of Haggai, the Old Testament prophet, chapter 1. Let me read it to you. He says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living uh, in, in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. You see, that's the curse of the 100% of the person uh, uh, who says, I'm just not going to give the tithe. There's just never seems to be enough. You see, but... So here's where the rubber meets the road, where us as believers, we've got to decide if we believe this or not. 
If you've been around here for a while, then you know, you've maybe heard me talk about this, but one of the things that we do um, whenever I, I talk on this subject is um, I do what the Malachi passage says, and I say, you know what? I'm going to give you the opportunity to test God. The Bible says not to test God except for this one area of life, this area of finances and this area of tithing, simply because God knows the hold that money can have on people. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Why don't you test me in this and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing? Well, why doesn't God pour the blessing first and then I'll do it? No, 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 that's not the way it works. God wants us to step in faith and then he shows up. So on the back of your connection card, you'll see where it says, uh, take the 90-day tithe challenge. And if you say, you know what, I'm going to take that challenge. Here, here's how we want to partner with you. Um, we want to partner with you and that I personally want to send you um, a book that uh, is fantastic. It's by a guy named Randy Alcorn. It's called The Treasure Principle. And I think that it explains this idea of the joy of giving um, probably better than any other book that I've read. It's, it's, it's a smaller book, but it's, it's a powerhouse as far as content and understanding. And here's the thing that's amazing. But here's the other deal that we're making. You're saying I'm going to tithe the 10% for 90 days and, and I'm going to send you this book and we're going to walk through this process together. But here's the other thing that you're promising to do for me. The thing you're promising to do for me is just email me the stories. When you watch God do the, the amazing in your life, I'm just asking, just please email me the story and tell me all that God is doing uh, in your life in this process. Because I'm telling you, we've been giving people this opportunity for years and for years. People have been sending me the stories over and over. And I'm telling you that I love getting the stories because I love sharing them, but it builds my own faith every time I read them. Now, let me just read a couple to you. These, these are three stories that I got. One's a little longer. The other two are short. But... Um, let me, um, let me read you these, these, uh, these three stories uh, that I got just over the last, uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, it says, uh, Dear Pastor Bob, I want to share uh, this praise report with you in regards to my job and how evident it is that God's working in my life. About a year ago, my company went through uh, an integration process, and we're in the process of um, merging, and so cutbacks were necessary. They gave us plenty of warning, so I continued to look inside and outside my company uh, for another a new position, uh, but nothing was coming up except a few interviews that never went beyond that. Uh, things began to get a little rough as my fiance and I were planning our wedding. In July, this is July 09, my company told us that September would be the end uh, of our time and that that's when the downsize would take place and the months passed quickly from there. I was able to squeeze a few more paychecks out until the beginning of October, but um, our la my last official day was October 7th, so which is a little over a month, a month ago. Um, I came into work on the 5th of October, and I knew I needed to wrap up my usual work and make sure I wasn't leaving anything undone. I randomly received an invite uh, from one of the directors of my company that afternoon uh, for a one-on-one -on -one meeting, but I figured it was just to, finish, uh, to find out um, how things were taking place as we were closing up on Wednesday, that Wednesday. As it turns out, one of my coworkers who had secured a position with my company had decided to leave and take an offer with another company just a week before the rest of us were going to leave uh, the company for good. Uh, he, the, the director said I came highly recommended from my supervisors and said that he was going to push through, through HR if I was interested in taking the position of the person um, who had left. He also said that I'd be receiving a higher salary than the current one, but that it was not significantly more. All of this happened two days before the layoffs after almost a year of not even getting close to securing a new position. Um, there were some HR things to get through, but they finally sent me the offer letter. The small raise they told me about ended up being a 36% increase in salary, and most importantly, 
an officially permanent job. We're very excited to move forward with our wedding plans and to let you know that we know that none of these things were coincidences. That's one. Here's another. Got this one uh, a couple weeks before that. Uh, Dear Pastor, just about a month or so ago, I started tithing. uh, And my money is now definitely God's. And so I make sure that every time I get paid, um, tithing is the first thing that I do um, before making any other payment. I've been attending college for three years. I've always paid my tuition and never received any kind of financial uh, support. I've been praying for a while for God to provide some sort of financial assistance for my tuition uh, in the fall of 2009, so this um, this fall. And just last week, I was uh, awarded $5,600 uh, for the next two semesters. God is so good. It's another one. And then here's, here's the third one. Dear Pastor Bob, I want to share something with you about this challenge that you've set on us. Uh, as a new believer, I've watched God clean out so much of the old baggage in my life that I've collected through life. And uh, I've always been open and receptive to the teachings at church, as well as the things taught in the pages of the Bible. But one thing I was very hesitant uh, to let go of and let let go of control was the subject of money. Since I've always lived on my own, I've always uh, fought myself about money and my poor management of it. And oh, yeah, that part about tithing was crazy talk to me. Um, I felt there were better ways of using, quote unquote, my money. Um, As I have gone through this walk. With God, I've been allowing God to take over my life, all parts. I let go of love for, quote-unquote, my money. This was a hard pull, but I saw how God speaks of it in the Bible. After some consideration, I started giving it a try by, uh, putting, by starting to give the tithe and putting it in the offering. Um, I started noticing immediately how God began to make changes in my life. My worries about finances started to change. Then your teaching uh, on finances struck a chord in my heart. I realized that I was idolizing the things of this world with money, and I knew I needed a change. I asked God to remove my love for money, and I became content where I am. I attended the financial seminar recently that you offered, and I learned that we are only stewards of what God has blessed us with. I also started to track my expenses to see where the money was going. Um, About a couple couple of months ago, someone from work talked to me about an opportunity uh, coming up in his area uh, of the company I work for. And I had been looking for other positions for months, applied to them, and not, had not even gotten a reply. This was a, this was a breath of fresh air. I started praying more about this because I, I wanted God's will for my career, but I knew that if I prayed and continued honoring God with my finances, that something would change. So, you're right. Testing God on His promises holds true. I just sent off my acceptance letter for a new job, making $20,000 more than my current salary. It's a great opportunity for me to grow professionally, and who knows where God's going to take me. But I know that trusting the Lord with all aspects of my life is really the way to be. So thank you for shedding light on this challenge, and I appreciate being blessed uh, to be part of a church like this one. You see, guys, um, this is just the last three that I got. And there's, there's, there's so many more. And, 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 you know, the truth is, is that in some ways I wish I could do this for you, but I can't. The truth is, is that um, this is a step that each of us has to take because each of us individually has to decide uh, whether we trust God uh, or we trust uh, in, in money. And that's what Jesus said. You can't trust in both. You've got to decide who it is that you trust in. And that's why we want to do this. We take, if you want to take the challenge, we'll send you the book and we'll walk with you along the way and we'll watch what God does. 
Because listen, I can tell you from these stories, I can tell you from my own life and the hundreds of people that I know that, have, that, that, that do this, that, that not just take the 90 days but never stop giving. Why? Because they recognize that, listen, when, when you honor God, God has a way of just knowing what's going to happen and, and opening doors and blessing in ways that we couldn't possibly imagine. Let me talk to you about the third one for just a moment. This one will go kind of quick. The, the, the third is this. I need to give money faithfully. The third is this, that I need to save money systematically. Save money systematically. Let me just give you a couple of stats, if I could. The average uh, person in Japan, average person in Japan last year saved 20% of their income. The average European last year saved 18% of his or her income um, in 2008. In 2008, the average citizen in America saved negative 2.2%. That is, we spent 2.2% more than we make. Now here's, now check this out. This is what the Bible says in, uh, in Proverbs 21.20. It says a wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Let me just give you uh, what I believe is a wise financial plan. It's very simple. Uh, it's called, I call it 10-10-80, right? You tithe on the first 10, you save the second 10%, and then you live on 80%. You're creating that kind of margin uh, in your life. And you say, I can't live on 80% of what I make. Well, that goes back to the conversation where you say, well, is the job that I have really a career? Or the second, then the second question would be, is it possible that maybe, uh, you know, we might be spending too much? See, but why is it important to save? Let me tell you one of the reasons why it's important to save is because it forces us to think about the future. Um, I, we talked about this about a month or so ago, a month and a half ago, when we did that message on the ants, things we can learn from the ants, um, in Proverbs 6. But let me refresh your memory. Here's what he says. Watch what ants do. Learn from them and be wise. They store up food in summer and stockpile supplies before winter. You see, it's amazing to me what God says about ants. And it's basically that ants are smarter than humans. Because an ant in, it just innately knows, intuitively knows that winter is coming. It's not always going to be spring. It's not always going to be summer. And so because winter is coming, I need to prepare for that. Right? Guess what? I don't know if you know, the cars break down. Did you know that? Cars break down. Things happen at, at home, right? You know, water heaters explode or whatever it is that they do. And so when that happens, things need to be, re- need to be replaced. Now, this is very important if you're in a position where maybe you're in debt and you want to get out of debt. Um, here's what, um, if you've ever never read the book, Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey, I would give you that as homework to say, I'm going to read that book and, and, and memorize it. But one of the things that Dave Ramsey says in, in his book, Total Money Makeover, I totally agree with this, is that every person should have $1,000 in an emergency fund, just in a savings account, $1,000 there, just in case, especially when you're in a, when you want to try to get a plan to get out of debt, what you do is you have that emergency fund there, so if you say, man, I had a blowout on my tire, I need to maybe replace one or two or whatever, here's what you do. You go into that emergency fund, and then you keep the plan that you have to get out of debt, instead of saying, I'm trying to get out of debt, but because I had this happen, now I've got to go into more debt, to fix this. And so if you don't have that and something happens, you've got to continue to go into debt and uh, when it's something that you could have paid cash for. So and the same thing is true with saving. Same thing is true with investing. We don't have time to talk about investing, but we will at some point. Um, but the key is this, especially when you have that emergency fund, you build a savings account, all that stuff, investments. It's not just you working for money, but it's making your, your money work for you. Now, let me talk to you about the last one. Uh, I'm going to have you turn a couple pages over to Proverbs 27. Um, and we're going to start in verse 23. This is what it says. It says, be diligent to know the state of your flocks 
and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When, hay, when the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountain are gathered in, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of your field. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and the nourishment of your maidservants. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, um, here's the fourth one. The fourth point here is, is that you need to spend money carefully. Now, I know that some of, this ver- some of the passage that we just read doesn't really make a lot of sense. And the reason is because we don't live in an agrarian culture. So it's like, okay, how do I know the, uh, the state of my flocks? What if I don't have a flock or I don't have a herd? Well, remember, the way that you measured your wealth in that culture was how your flock and your herd was doing. How, are your, how healthy are your goats? How healthy are your sheep? How healthy are uh, the rams or bulls or whatever it is that, that you have? Because here's what he says, the same thing as the, as the passage in Proverbs 6 about the ants. He says, when the hay is removed, the tender grass shows itself and the herbs are gathered in. Here's what it says. All of that is what happens at harvest time. So what happens after harvest, which is in the fall, that's what happens in the winter. If you've been taking care of your herd and your flock, here's what you'll find. What you'll find is this, is that you'll have enough goat's milk for food and you'll have food for your household and nourishment for your maidservants. And that's why I say that you need to spend money carefully. And that is talking about, more than anything, about budgeting. Um, several years ago, I mean, I was just out of high school, um, that I had a friend who got into, like, a good friend who got into major credit card debt, which that was like, he was like $8,000 in credit card debt, which by, that back then was not all the money in the world, but it was like three quarters of it. Um, and so that was like insane. And, and he actually, uh, it was crazy spending, but then he, he put together a plan and he got out of debt. It was amazing. And yet here's what happened is that one time we're sitting at his house and we're watching a movie and we were ta- he was telling me the story about how um, he got into all this debt. And, uh, and he says, do you see, on, t- on top of his TV at all these movies, and he says, um, do you see that VHS tape, it's old school, VHS. He says, do you see that VHS tape of uh, Total Recall, you know, the movie with... Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, thank you. Um, the, the movie Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, and I, he says, yeah, and he says, $8,000 of credit card debt, and that's the only thing I have to show for it, is that VHS tape of Total Recall, not even like Terminator, you know what I mean? Like one of the better movies, you know, it's like eight grand, all I got is twins, you know what I mean? It's like, or one of his lamer movies, you know what I mean? And so, and, and so this is what I say when I say spend carefully. I, I'm not saying you can't have fun. I'm not saying that. What I'm simply saying is, when you budget, it's like that you just don't spend money that you don't have. You see, that's what Solomon is saying when he says that know the state of your flock, your herd, you're thinking about the future. That means you're taking inventory of what you have. That's what a budget is. A budget is simply you telling your money in advance where you want it to go. Because guess what? Can I tell you this? At the end of the year, it's all going to go anyway. I don't know one person that like at the end of the year, like they wake up December 31st, they roll over and there's like a stack of hundreds like, whoa, where'd all this money appear? It's not the way it works. Instead, it's like when you don't plan for it, like where you want it to go, it still goes. Same thing happens with your time. You don't plan where your time is supposed to go. Guess what? At the end of the year, you're like, hey, you know, I got two weeks. I didn't do anything with. What am I going to do? No, they're all spent. They're, they're, They're all done. And so here's the thing that needs to happen. Listen, you just plan in advance. You put together a budget. In fact, um, on the back of your connection card, uh, when it says, uh, the, there's a next step says get on a budget. Um, if you check that off, um, I or someone from my staff will send you uh, a copy of the, uh, uh, will send you the file, the Excel spreadsheet file. To this day, for the last, like, I don't know, 13, 14 years, I've been using this file 
um, to do my budget every single year. And I will send you the, the same file that I use um, if, if you want to do that as well. This is a great time, by the way, to start budgeting. Um, I put together our budget for 2000, the, the next year on Thanksgiving weekend every year, like clockwork, um, in my home. And then Fourth of July weekend, I review it and see if we're on track or what needs to be, uh, what needs to be changed. But the thing is this is that people who try to get out of debt and don't, this is how they sabotage themselves. They sabotage, them, sabotage themselves by not getting new spending patterns. Um, they keep the old spending patterns, and then uh, they, they continue to perpetuate the same thing. The Bible says this in Proverbs 24. It says, A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through understanding. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. If you want to build a strong financial house, for yourself now and for your future, here's what it takes. It takes understanding God's wisdom. It takes using that, that knowledge and understanding to make the right kinds of decisions. And so here's, here's what it's got to be. If you're, if you're in debt right now, here's what you've got to do. This is the mantra, no new debt. There's, a, um, there's a, a, a next step on the back that says get financial counseling. And if you, if you feel like, man, my situation is pretty extreme, I feel like I need to talk to somebody. You can check that off and make an, and we can, we'll call you. You can make an appointment with one of our pastors, um, uh, to, to talk to them. But here's the thing. When you make that line in the sand and you say, I am not gonna get, uh, I am not gonna get into debt. That means you're not buying any new clothes, new toys. You're not going anywhere until you get out of debt. Because you recognize the severity of it. In Proverbs 22 verse 7, it says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. When my wife and I were first married, we had some debt that we had accumulated while we were in college. And so then we got married. Um, she was done, and I still had about a semester left of college. But we had made the decision that if we really got on a budget and buckled down, that we could be out of debt by our first anniversary. And then, and we were doing it. And we were about you know, 80%, 85% of the way out of debt. And then Christmas rolled around. And we had to make the decision, like, are we going to do like a a crazy Christmas and then kind of like derail ourselves for the next six months paying off Christmas because we haven't gotten ourselves totally out of debt. And here's a decision that we made as a young couple um, at, you know, 22, 23 years old. We said this. We gave each other 25 bucks a piece. And we said, what you can spend on me is 25 bucks and what I can spend on you is 25 bucks and that's going to be Christmas. We didn't have a Christmas tree uh, that year because Christmas trees cost money. We didn't have any. Um, in fact, so one of our friends said, oh, you don't have a Christmas tree, I'll bring you one. They brought us like one of these little Charlie Brown Christmas trees. I mean, it was like, it was like crooked. I mean, it was like, it was so sad. Like, seriously, it was pathetic. And because we wanted it to be taller, we had like a little table and we ended up putting like phone books and stuff on it to make it look taller. Because if not, it would have only come up to like, you know, my shin. Um, so we, but you know what? But you know, we did it. And then by the time that that first anniversary rolled around, listen, we were done. We sent that last payment in and we were free. And I say, man, um, I was so happy that we did that because you can't move into the future when you're still paying off the past. One of the things that we did, too, was we decided to start living, uh, this is a few years later, that we were always paying our credit cards off because it always had to be at zero. Because um, uh, we could still use them, but we wanted it to be at zero. And it was actually uh, Pastor John Solaroli, one of our pastors, said to me one day, we were having lunch, and he said, you know, Bob, because um, I had just talked about this, about just paying off your cards at the end of the month, he said, you should try this. Instead of just um, charging it and then paying for it at the end of the month, he says, just pay for it cash. Um, it says, uh, he goes, I'm going to tell you that it hurts more when you pay for it cash. 
than when you just sign for it. No, but I know what it is. And, and so I said, all right. And then it was like a couple weeks later, I went and I went to buy some clothes. And uh, man, I, I went... I went into the store and it was like, you know, a hundred bucks or something for like the four or five things that I was going to buy. And then they're like, you know, it's going to be a hundred dollars and thirty cents or something. And I remember thinking like, and I remember saying to the guy, can I just think about that for a minute? Because I'm like, I got to fork over five Andrew Jacksons to take care of this. And I'm like, I don't know. Do I really need that shirt? Do I, do, do I really need socks? I have a pair. I mean, leave, put those back. You know what I mean? And I'm like kind of haggling with myself. Like, why? Because if I just had to sign for it, because I remember what had happened over the years. I mean, I'd pay for it, but it's like, well, I only want to spend 100 bucks, And then it's like 140 I'm like, what's well, 40 bucks amongst friends? And so you go to sign it because it doesn't hurt to sign your name. But man, when you got to fork it over, like here, you know what I'm telling you? And it's like, I, I wish John had never told me that because I experienced more pain in my life than I ever had. And I'm like, Man, but I'm telling you that it caused me to, ju- to to live that. Why? Because now it's like I earned it. Here it is. And I'm exchanging it. And then you realize you really start feeling what it is that you're doing. Now, let me just say this. I'm closing with this. Is that why does the Bible say so much about money? You know, there's over 2000 verses in the Bible on the subject of money. Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven or hell. Guess what? Combined. More than heaven or hell combined, he spoke about money. 39 parables Jesus told in the Gospels, more than half of them have to do with the subject of money because Jesus knew the hold that money can have on people. And listen, and I want to tell you this, and the other thing is this, he knew the, the hold that money could have on people, and he also, know, he also knew this and understands this, is that he, he knew this, that where someone's money goes tells them where their heart is. Jesus said where your treasure is, your resources, there your heart will be also. And that's why God's desire for all of us is to put together and have a financial plan for no other reason than because God does not want you to be worried or in despair about the future, freaking out about the present, or paying off the past. Here's what God wants you to be, is free. Financially free and free in every other area of your life. That's God's hope, God's role. That's what God wants to do. Uh, in your life. And in this area of finances, God wants you, check it out, He wants you to be free. Let's pray together. And God, we thank you for that promise, for that understanding that you do want us to be free. And so I pray and ask that you would do a work in each of us, wherever we are, there's many of us, and we're all in different stages, different places in life. But God, you know where we are. Help us to make the right decisions, to put you first. Because you said, your son said, that if we seek first the kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things would be added unto us. God, thank you for that promise. In Jesus' name, amen.